Welcome back, listener. This is Everyday Humanity. We are in season three already, which is um, almost kind of crazy to think about and hard to believe that two other podcast seasons have gone by already. We are really glad that you're back joining us again, uh, not only this week, but again this season. And I'm really specifically excited to introduce our very first guest of season three because she's also our keynote speaker at Season of Hope this year. She's my friend Paula Jausch, who lives here in Grand Rapids. Hi, Paula. Hello. Hi. So Paula is an international speaker, uh, an award-winning author, a podcaster, and just an overall incredible human Mm -hmm. who um, has come through so much growth and change and transformation since finding Jesus, but more specifically can speak to and is about to speak to um, what it's like when you don't have resources in the world, when you don't have relationships in the world, um, what the difference can look like on the other side once you do. So yeah. also, hi, De- Dennis. So Paula, this could just like, you know, you and I talk all the <laughs> yes. time, but our third guest, most important, our president and CEO, Dennis. I thorn is back in between no. roses. Here he is. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm super excited for season three. Yeah. I'm excited to be sitting next to you again. I'm excited that we are on video this year, which is huge. And um, that's a huge thanks to our producer extraordinaire, Matthew, oh, sitting just off camera, who is really the brains and the mm-hmm. the impetus behind so much of this. Mm-hmm. And like you, I am so excited to have this podcast, our first one for season three, start with Paula, because um, her story is going to inspire. It's going to convict. There could be tears. There could be laughter. I don't even know what's going to happen. But what I do know is God's going to show up through this. So I'm really excited. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. And you know, I know your story. So part of it is I don't even really know where to start, but I think it needs to go like this for so many people who don't know your story. Can you please just share a little bit about from where you came, how Mm -hmm. you got here? I know Mm -hmm. that's a question you get all the time when you're speaking and um, kind of pouring into others, just from point A to point B, what did that look like? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. I think everybody has a story, even the person listening today, you know, you have a story. And every time I get asked to share my story, I'm sure it's always a different part of it. But in a nutshell, I grew up in addiction and there was a lot of abuse and my life was affected from it. But the more that I learned about my story and the more that I was able to put like pieces together, like a puzzle. One thing I learned is that my father's father was an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and abused him. And so If you were to ever look at my book, I talk about breaking those generational patterns of addiction and abuse and trauma, because if somebody doesn't, it's just going to keep repeating itself. But with that being said, I had a lot of struggles that I needed to heal from a lot of growing up in addiction, abuse and trauma. And one, you know, I was heading for the streets. I was heading to be homeless. Um, That was also something that my father part of my story is my father lived on the streets. And so I'm going to share a little bit like of his story because it's part of my story. And my father was raised by an alcoholic. And when he was a young kid, he was kicked out on the streets and he became homeless. And he learned different ways of eating through the trash can and stealing food. And the reason I share that is because when he raised us kids, he taught us those things. We would dig through the trash for food. I thought it was normal. We would go into a grocery store and put meat down our pants and different things like that. I thought it was normal. The first chapter of my book is called What is Normal? Because in order for me to start healing and change, I started, I had to start questioning that. But as I got older, as in like sixth grade and seventh and eighth grade, I started as well experimenting with drugs and alcohol. It was teen pregnancy and it went into eating disorder and cutting. So it was just a a life and a cycle affected because of what I grew up in. 
And by the age 21, I found myself with three young children. I had a six-month-old, a three-year-old, and a six-year-old. And here I was struggling with all these things, with cutting, you know, in my own addiction. Um, By the grace of God, I was on Section 8 housing, and I was able to put a roof over our head from government housing. But I was broken, and I was suicidal, and I wanted to take my life. But I was working at a daycare with my young children, and this woman would come in always smiling and always happy. And she really annoyed me because I was hurting and I was broken. (laughs) And um, she was brave enough to tell me one day that, you know, Jesus loves you and he wants to heal your heart. And I wasn't familiar with that language at all. You know, I was very familiar with just street language. I was very familiar with abuse and profanity, the things that I heard in my home. And I did not understand what she said that day. But when when I became, it, there was a desperate part, time in my life where I became suicidal and I went into the closet to take my life. And my oldest at the time was six and he opened the door and he's like, I hate you, mommy. All you do is cry because it was true. That's all I did was cry. And I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't even understand I had trauma. And at that moment, when I went to take my life, I kept hearing that woman's voice. And I was a little annoyed because I wanted to put an end to it. And I just kept hearing, Jesus loves you, and he wants to heal your heart. And so that day in the closet, I just punched the ground. And I said, if you're real, I said, I want to know you. I said, I want to know you. And something inside of me that day was like, get up, get up. You're not going to be like your parents. Get up. And specifically that day, I set my kids on the couch that was six month, three and six, and I just wiped my tears, but it wasn't an easy like fix. Things were just great. I wiped my tears and I said, mommy's going to be different. And I don't know how. And at at the age 21, living on government housing, welfare, working, I was reading at a third grade level. I mean, I was... um, just barely making it. I remember when I would fill out job applications, people would say, ma'am, do you have a trouble with spelling and reading and different things like that? And I just started to question myself. I really do think there's something wrong with me. And this is what I love about Mel Trotter, because I was looking at your next step program that you guys have, Mm -hmm. like, you know, you're offering hope through work, which is absolutely amazing. So I knew at that moment I needed help. So, you know, one, I found a 12-step recovery program for those who've been affected by addiction. I started attending 12 steps. Uh, I started finding a local church. But I went to my caseworker on Department of Human Services and Welfare, and I was like, you know, I need help. I don't know how to do like a job resume. I don't know how to do an application. I think I struggle with spelling. And it, it was just almost like there was a lot of steps that needed to be taken, but it was like God surrounded me like a mentor in the church that would help me read, which would help me dress professional. Um, when I went to talk to my caseworker, she taught me, she told me about a program. It was like a job program that I can go to, to learn how to type, to learn how to do a resume. But the first thing she told me, cause I used to wear black makeup and had piercings all over my face and a whole bunch of rings on and tons of <laughs> perfume. She was like, you know, they donated a suit to me that somebody had given, you know, for people who wanted to go out into the workforce and become professional. So I had to go take a a used suit off the rack and put that on. And I had to practice taking off my rings and lightening my makeup and learning how to do eye contact and handshake. And that may sound silly to some, 
But like I said at the beginning of this podcast, we all have a story. Mm -hmm. My story was I grew up in addiction. I grew up in abuse. I was not taught life skills. I wasn't. I, I ran in the streets a lot, you know, and I just needed those life skills. Yeah. yeah. So Paula, um, by the way, the book is Cross Addicted, if we haven't mentioned that. Um, I was on your website today and um, I've been on there before and I read something that I've read before, but it stopped me in my tracks today. And I want to read it and, and have you talk about it. Negative voices torment us. Our past causes us to feel shame and guilt. We hesitate to tell our story because we really don't know how to make sense of it all. And we are afraid of what people might think. And when I read this, it stopped me because every single guest that I've ever encountered at Maltrotter, this is their reality. The negative voices torment them. They feel shame and guilt and they don't know how to tell it. And they're afraid of what people Mm -hmm. might think. But beyond that, that paragraph is true for me. And it's true for so many other people is, you know, the, the enemy fills our head with negative. You're not good enough for whatever reason. You're not good enough. You don't have this. You're not pretty enough. You're not whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd love to hear you just talk a little bit about, um, a little more about how, how do you speak truth to those negative voices? How do you yeah. get victory over yeah. that? You know, I would like to say it's just easy. You know, the, <laughs> <It's not. laughs> you know, the Bible says to take every right. negative thought captive and renew your mind. But to be honest, I first had to spend years in a recovery program mm. to realize I had a story. Mm. I had to sit yeah. in a seat of a 12 step recovery program to realize my life was affected by addiction. So once in recovery, recovery brought awareness. Wow. I think my life was affected by addiction. But then once I sat in that recovery meetings, I realized, wow, I think I need deeper healing because of the cutting and of my addiction and because of my eating disorder. So then I sought out therapists and trauma therapists and I sat in there and I tried to make sense of my story. But what I realized years after recovery and years after therapy is there's healing when you start to tell your story. There's a freedom that comes with it, but it takes time because we're so afraid at first. What would they think of me? What will people think of me that I was an illiterate woman? What will people think of me if I had a child at 15 years old? What will people think of me that I used to steal clothes and food just to survive? What will people think of me until we work through that story? Because storytelling brings healing and that healing brings out our true identity. And our true identity is who God created us to be before the addiction, the abuse and all that has taken over. But, you know, (laughs) here's the thing. The enemy comes to kill, steal and destroy. You know what? I want to destroy your life. You're being born. You're in your mother's womb. I'm going to put a target on you and I want to take you out. You know what? The Bible says we're going to come into this broken world. My parents were broken. That's a fact. That's my story. Their brokenness affected me. But it also says that I have a choice, that the truth will set me free. And it says that I was born for a purpose and a plan. And that God deposited that seed in me. So therefore, again, why I'm here planting a seed into Mel Trotter. Mel Trotter is helping homeless people, offering jobs, offering resources. You better believe that I will come here and speak because if people did not do that for me, I would not be here today. I probably would have committed suicide. If a mentor, like the, there was this guy that fixed my car. I was sharing with you guys previously is that I had this speaking engagement and 
I, they were asking me, how did you get from illiterate trauma addiction to where you are today? It was all the different programs. Section 8 government housing helped me to have housing. But then they taught me about a self-sufficiency program that I could save money with my rent that I'm paying. They'll match it, and I can become a first-time homebuyer program. I was the youngest to graduate from that program in Las Vegas, Nevada. The governor came to me and said, could you be our next speaker at our program? And he's like, well, how did you do it? And I said, how I did it was my faith. My faith told me that I could do anything, and these people have been helping me. So they're believing in me, so I'm believing in myself. That's what we need to do. We need to believe in people until they believe in themselves. But going back to your negative thought things, that was the last thing that I healed from Mm. because the enemy could have kept me there forever. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're unwanted. You're not loved. Those were the old tapes. Those were also the old tapes that kept me bound to an eating disorder. And and those negative thoughts, I think, will come to anybody. But if you want to be released from those tormented thoughts, you got to be willing to do the work to also replace those. If you walk into my home office today, you will see index cards all around my room with positive affirmations. That anytime that negative thought comes, I will pick up a handful of those and start reading them out loud and say, Can you just wish those negative thoughts away? No, because trauma gets stored in your body. It gets in the tissues of your bone. Trauma triggers our nervous system, which is like a brain that releases this negative emotions and negative thoughts to make us not like ourselves. But all this is reversible with people loving on us, with community, with resources. And that's why I'm standing here today. You know, does that answer the question Um, to the negative thought? Wow. Wow, like mic some. drop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I am I'm capturing those positive affirmations and your words of wisdom. This is your experience. You live this story. Mm-hmm. And clearly people understand and can hear and see now, see in season yeah. three, how passionate you are. And what you said is we need to believe in people until they believe in themselves. Yeah. That mm-hmm. just sticks with me because that's what we are aspiring to do every day. It's what mm-hmm. we, our efforts are about is when yeah. we see a guest walk through our doors mm-hmm. in, in very similar situations, but not the exact story, right? Mm-hmm. Similar situations, mm-hmm. different stories, different mm-hmm. generational trauma, whatever that story may be with those unique experiences. And we see them and you can just tell many of them are downtrodden, right? They're like, nobody believes in me. And mm-hmm. that is when we and you and mm-hmm. other people mm-hmm. who have, you know, walked ahead on this journey mm-hmm. of trauma say, I believe in you. I got you. Let's go. How can I help? How can I help? And I think that's so important too, because oftentimes we look at people, right? We look at the most downtrodden, downtrodden people and we wonder, and sometimes we say out loud, why don't they just get up? Get a job. Why don't, right. Why don't they just pull themselves? Right. right? Why don't they just get up and go? And Paula, you're hitting on it, right? Mm -hmm. The answer to that why question is, Mm -hmm. They don't believe in themselves. They don't think anyone believes in them. So they don't think there's anything for them other than addiction, mm-hmm. prostitution, streets, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Right. And we all, you know, I grew up uh, with a community around me that did believe in me. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that was a reinforcement that I got. So here I am. Yeah. Right. And I didn't, I went through a lot of trials, but I didn't go through some of the trials that our guests go through. Yeah. Our responsibility, I think as Christians, mm-hmm. our responsibility is to stand in the gap yeah. and to, as you're saying, continue to say, no, you are made in the image of God. Yeah. You have value. This is not the end of your yeah. story. 
Yeah. That's that's yeah. where God shows up. Yeah. You know, the scripture that healed me the most in the Bible is that God places the lonely in families. And it says it numerous times in the Bible that he's a father to the fatherless. Yeah. And so when my mind can click that my heavenly father was not like my earthly father, I could start to heal. And then when I realized that part of my story is, is that I'm not super close to the family God has given me, but I have family through friends. I have family through my husband and through other people because those people have become my families. And it's also healed like holes in my heart that, you know, the rejection and the abandonment. And when you look at these people who are so downtrodden and they're on the mat, depression and oppression is real because there's that thought, where do I even start? So you heard parts of my story today, illiterate pretty much homeless until I found Section 8 housing, you know, had no family support, you know, and it took, it was like looking at a big elephant and taking little bites of it each time. And each time I did that, it added up to this. It added up to this. And and today I'm like a sponge. Like if I don't know a <laughs> word, I'm like, tell me. And there's one word and I was with my assistant. We were having lunch, and one word that I've struggled with as a kid is like spatula and spatula. And I've always <laughs> said spatula. And, and my assistant looks over at the table, and she's like, look at me. And I was like, okay. She's like, Dracula, spatula, Dracula, <laughs> spatula. But now somebody who's broken would feel ashamed of that. Right. Yes. I had a doctor that I used to work for. And because I came off the streets, I used to always say, who took in my stuff? You took in my stuff. You know, my <laughs> slang was coming out and he would say, tokens not a word, it's taken. And you know what? The, in that moment, there was shame. But when I became healed, mm -hmm. it's like, that's part of my story. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. My brain remembered it this way, mm -hmm. but now I'm going to learn the right way. Uh -huh. And that's what yeah. we have to realize is that our brain remembers brokenness and I'm never enough and I never can do this and I never can get out of this. But God wants to heal your brain and your mind and your body of all the trauma and the addiction. Say, yes, you can get out of this. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I've created you for that purpose and through all things you can do me. Uh, you can do all things through me and I'm going to bring you the people, places and the resources and to help you get there. It's like Jesus. What we are is Jesus and skin, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you want to know how I met Paula? I would love you, to know. Okay, good, because I'm going to tell you. I'm about to tell you. I, I um, have learned that you're going to tell me anyway. <laughs> it's When I ask, it's always rhetorical. Um, it is a rhetorical question. Uh, through Anne. So our friend, Dennis yeah. and I have a, a writer friend, Anne Vile, and she said, you know what? It's just been long enough. She said, I know you. I know Paula. I know how you guys both speak. You have to meet. And so Paula came to Mel Trotter. That's the first time you and I ever met. Really? And you were kind of like, well, you know, this could go either way. <laughs> and so, I mean, you mean about you? Yeah, probably. Yes. Yeah, well, but yeah, she intimidated by a person with title, you know, in her office. And I was a little nervous. <laughs> but then after like, what, 2.5 minutes, you're like, yeah. okay, we got this. And yeah. and so I remember you showed up with shoes for our guests because Paul and her husband own Striders. Yeah. In Granville. And, yeah. And so she, you know, comes in and, and we just completely obviously hit it off immediately. But mm. one of my favorite things that she said out of the gate. So I'm a little bit of street and a little bit of Jesus, <laughs> but it's true because you are weaving yeah. the story that you is your story yeah. into where you are today. And and I know when I hear you speak to people and, um, and witness to people and love people one-on-one, -on -one, you have mm -hmm. always have time for people. You know, one of the things that you always say is like, look, I, I get it. Like I was broken too. I was in this space and that yeah. really lands for people because yeah. they look at you and wouldn't believe yeah. that you could understand their yeah. story where they're saying, you're like, yeah, I can. Tell yeah. me more and let's share. Yeah. 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 And anybody can get out. Anybody can, mm -hmm. you know. You want to know how I met Paula? 
<laughs> sure, because you're going to tell me. Because I'm going to tell you everything. Yes, the question yes. is rhetorical yeah, yeah, from yeah. what I understand. You probably know this story. So Paula was our Season of Hope speaker last year. Mm -hmm. And we had this, our annual event. It was planned to be at, I think, JW or wherever. And uh, because of that awful COVID, we had to pivot and have a non attended event. Can mm -hmm. I say that? I had to have a virtual event. A virtual event. Yes. That's what I meant. Non-attended yes. virtual. Yep. See, I struggle with words too. It's a spatula. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so we pivoted and we had a virtual event and Paula came in and she spoke to an empty room as if it was filled with hundreds. Yes. And she didn't let it, you didn't let it stop you, bother you in any way, at least not that we could see. And you just allowed God to speak through you. And um, whomever was tuning in was moved. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why we are so excited for um, Paula Part 2 Yes, uh, in Season of Hope this year, where we're going to have a, a room that's full. And you'll hear more details about that toward the end of the podcast, because I can't even spell the word detail. So that's something Beth will have to yes. give you. Um, but that was like, it was the story that I heard mm -hmm. from you that was just connected and moved me deeply. But it was also just your, just your character, just how you carried yourself going, you know what, this might be meant for evil, but God's going to turn it for good. So turn on the cameras. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what time. we did all the time. Yeah. And that is, that is mm -hmm. who you are as a person. And I love it so much because you say things like, so I really don't understand why once you know who Jesus is, you don't act like it. You said that to me and I just, oh, she, I mean, man. you know, she doesn't pull any punches over here, this one. I, but that's again, because you are so passionate about serving Jesus because yeah. you're, because you know, and you remember what your life was like mm -hmm. before somebody said, Jesus loves you yeah, and it will heal you. Right. Mm -hmm. And you were like, what is this person even talking about? Yeah. Because in a state of brokenness, and I'd love for you to talk more about this mm -hmm. when people are in that state, in the cycles, um, experiencing a season in life that primarily they don't have control over. You didn't have control over your parents, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, when, when you were in that mode and people brought Jesus to you, you probably didn't really want to hear it then, right? Mm -mm. No. How, how did that sort of unfold to where you are today in your sort of unapologetic, yeah, like, let's go. It's all, Jesus all the time. Mm -hmm. But here's another <laughs> thing, too, is that if you drop the seed, mm -hmm. like just drop the seed, and we may not see it grow at the moment, somebody will drop another seed and another seed, and then somebody will come water it, and then you'll get to experience the growth. And you may be dropping a seed of hope or a seed of love or a resource or whatever it may be, and we don't have to worry about the outcome because that's just the way like God works, you know, like all these different people's like it was a teacher in my senior year that came to me and realized I was a senior with two children and I was really in despair. Mm -hmm. And she came to me, pulled me out of the classroom and told me about Section 8 housing. Well, little did she know of dropping the seed of Section 8 housing would lead me to the self-sufficiency program and four years later I'd buy a home. Right. And then. You know, I went on this trail of, you know, recovery and therapy, but people with like food pantries and, and baskets, those little seeds. And so what I, so the way to answer your question is, is every time you're helping somebody, you're really breaking through that brokenness mm -hmm. and it may not seem like it at the time. It may not. I mean, if you, you would have saw me 15 or 20 years ago, I mean, just head down constantly I would never give anybody eye contact it goes back to that shame yeah. and I had completely I always looked like I had black eyes underneath mm 
But each person that kept pouring into my life, it broke through like that brokenness, you know? And so this is what I told a crowd I was speaking to last week. Just remember that we're not responsible for the outcome. The only thing that we're responsible for is this short period they come through our paths. And what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Make sure you're dropping seed. You're not responsible for watering it. You're not responsible for watching it grow. Just drop the seeds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. And. Wow. Where do I want to go with this? Um, You said something a minute ago that that really struck me in, in that about the seeds. And that is. A teacher saw you as a senior in high school with two kids. Mm hmm. That teacher had two choices at that point. She could judge you. Look at this girl. Why did she have babies? She shouldn't have been having babies in 16. She shouldn't have been doing what you do to have babies, right? Right. Judgment and shame. She could have done that and said her life. Mm -hmm. Or she could have chose to plant a seed Mm -hmm. and she planted a seed of section eight. And I think that is so important because oftentimes what we what we tend to do is we tend to cast judgment. Mm-hmm. We tend to say, well, let's talk about Paula's choices when she was 16 and whether or not those were sin or whether or not those were the right or wrong mm-hmm. choices. And I think those are the wrong questions. Mm-hmm. The right question is how do I walk alongside her now mm-hmm. and plant seeds and help her become the person that God created her to be mm-hmm. right. But it's so much easier to not plant a seed and cast judgment mm-hmm. and, and just sort of walk away. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm so grateful that so many people came into your life and mm-hmm. planted seeds. Yeah. And now look at what you're doing. Yeah. You're a seed planter. Yeah. So right? instead of condemning, yes. we yeah. need to encourage and inspire. We need to un- try to understand what their story is. And that's why I love the quote on the Mel Trotter website for every unique story. There's a unique approach because we do not know. And I tell like my children this all the time. If we're driving down the road and there's a panhandler, did I say that right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, yes, you did. You do not know their story. You don't know their story and we don't get to judge. We do not know why that could have been me on the side of the road. I think all the time, if I would have never learned the life skills of getting a job, learning how to read people skills, you know, recovery, trauma therapy, that could have been me as well. Yeah. It goes back to what you said that when you were growing up and, um, you know, your dad had come through what he had gone through and then he taught you and your siblings to go through the trash and to go into the stores and hide food, steal food. Um, and you didn't question it because you thought that was quote normal. Right. And so until we have people who see us made in the image of God with value and mattering and worth and say, you know, I'm going to teach you another way. Yeah. Cause I can clearly see you've only been taught one way and there's a better way. There's a way that is more loving. There's a way that um, is more dignified and there's a way that God has intended for you that you're not living. You know, I want to go a little deeper with that. Sure. Why don't we just, why don't we try to learn why people do what they do? Mm -hmm. Because there's a reason why everybody does what they do. Mm -hmm. My dad died at the age 70. My father was homeless as at the age eight. He was used to living in cardboard boxes at the age eight, right? Then at the age 13, he got locked up into a boy's home. And then age 18, jail. Through his whole life, it was psychiatric words. It was prison his whole life, right? Then one day, my brother buys him a home. And then this house, there's three bedrooms. And my dad died in this home. In this home, 
I went to go visit him a few years before he died. His bed was in the kitchen. His microwave was in the kitchen. His clothing line was in the kitchen. Why is he living in the kitchen when there's a bedroom that's beautiful right down the hall? Because he was used to live in his whole life confined in one room. He knew nothing different. He lived in a cardboard box on the streets. He lived in one room in jail. He lived in one room in a psychiatric hospital. He chose everything was in the kitchen, the bed, everything. And that is how he died. My point of sharing that is we can help some, but we can't help all. There will be some people who will do the exact same things their whole entire life because that's what makes them safe and that's what makes them comfortable. And I think also as in organizations like this, that that is so important to understand as well. Why would my dad want to live in a kitchen when you got a bedroom down there? And as we walked out the house, my husband explained that to me and I was like, I never would have thought that, but I didn't want to ask him either because he was so <laughs> would get upset about certain things, but yeah. you know, yeah. but it's true. Isn't yeah. that something? Yeah. And we deal with it every day. Yeah. I mean, right. Yeah. That Those are things that we, those are questions we wrestle with because I think that the perception and the misunderstanding is that, well, if they just had in this case, three bedrooms, problem solved. It goes much deeper than it that. Does. Yes. And, and, and it's about curiosity, right? Yes. It's, and it's about two things. Being curious about that person, and and to your point, Paula, why would they choose what they're choosing? And it's also about resisting the urge to view and judge people through our lens, oh. right? The way I grew up, I would never live my entire life in one room or in a kitchen, yeah. right? But then it's not fair for me to judge someone like your dad, who grew up far differently, and to your point, never lived in anything but a square, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't judge him with the lens that I have, yeah. right? It's not fair. Yeah. Um, and what we need to do is say, okay, then how do I love him? Yeah. How do I walk with him? Um, how do we help this person move forward? How do we show God's grace? How do we get to know them? How do we get to know how them? How do we yeah. get to hear them? How do we yeah. get to wonder why they do what they would do? I went to this leadership training like a month ago, and the most powerful th- quotes and statements that I took away is that everybody grows up a different way. Everybody has a different life experience. And out of that different life experience comes different personalities, comes different triggers, and comes all kinds of different stuff. And I'm sure you guys see this in Mel Trotter all the time, a person that might be triggered with something, you know, and it's it's not like, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing that? It's, could you explain to us why that triggers you? Why does that bother you? Yeah. Yeah less condemnation like you said right yeah. it's not why why are you doing that why why are you choosing that it's what happened to you yeah what what what's causing this where's this coming from yeah what can i learn about you yeah so that we can talk about that yeah. yeah yeah it's seeing people yeah i am so excited that you are going to speak at season of hope i mean this is just um a snippet of your story um and i remember when i reached out and said um yeah how about 2.0 um, we would love to have you here in person. We're grateful that you said yes. Um, it's Thursday, September 29th, Thursday, September 29th, the JW, the international ballroom at the JW Marriott uh, doors open at six program starts at six 30. Uh, Paula, you said, how long do I have? And I thought, well, can, is all night an option? I mean, you know, I'd love to hear you speak for hours, but apparently we're it is a kidding, night. kidding. Yeah. It is school night Thursday, yeah. um, but we're grateful that you said yes. And so can you tell us the, the one hope that you um, have a takeaway for those that are going to be in attendance that you would like mm-hmm. um, to share that you're hoping people will get by listening to you that night? Oh, yeah. I'm coming in with a strong quote and I'll give you, I guess I'll share the quote now because I'm going to talk more on it, yeah. but this is the quote that I have for that night. We have more people hurting than helping. Mm -hmm. 
We have more people hurting than helping. And so when I come that night with my story, yeah, (laughs) I hope that we walk away with more people helping than hurting. I don't have anything else to say about that. Well, I think that will be worth <laughs> attending. Um, and Beth, Tickets are free, but yes. now I might need to rethink that. No, I'm kidding. No, you know why? <laughs> Tickets are free because, yeah. not because there isn't value. Tickets are free because there is so much value that we want anybody to be able to come in and to hear your story and to learn what's going on and to what, what has gone on in your life and to hopefully be inspired. And to your point that you just said, um, to become a person that's helping. Yeah, that's right. Our goal yeah. is to fill the room, which yeah. is why. Yeah, yeah, we would like everybody to be there and see you in person, meet you in person. Your books will be there as well in the yes. back. So thank you. Just thank you for all you do. Thank you for the way you show up in the world and use your story to help heal others. Oh, thank you guys for having me today. Yep. Okay, listener, that is episode one. That's the conclusion, episode one, season three. So we will see you here back next week for episode two. Thanks for joining us on Everyday Humanity. Everyday Humanity.